Welcome to the Nice Work Podcast. It's a podcast of the Super Nice Club. Together, we're working to make the world 10% nicer. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and this week, our conversation is with Prince Andrew Ardathio of Accra, Ghana. Accra is the thriving capital of Ghana, which is a city of over 2 million people and one of the gems of the African continent. Prince Andrew and a number of other young, brilliant minds believe that they can help transform Accra into Wakanda. And if you've read or seen Black Panther, you know what I'm talking about. If not, uh, find a search engine that doesn't mine your personal data for free in the name of surveillance capitalism. I use DuckDuckGo, but you do you. Anyway, how are they going to achieve this epic transformation? That's what we're going to talk about on this podcast. Through gamification. Yeah, by using games to change negative human behavior and make a nicer world. We'll talk about gamification, its potential to make the kinds of rapid changes that politicians only dream of, and a lot more. Quick note, we had a little bandwidth difficulty given the remote location. Good news is, our guest sounds great. Me, on the other hand, I'm even more garbled than usual. But I don't say much, which is good. Okay, here we go. Prince, Prince Andrew Ardefio, how are you doing? Where are you? So right now, um, I'm at home. I'm trying to adhere to the guidelines by my country. We are currently um, observing social distance and avoiding public gatherings. But I'm very fine. I'm healthy. My family is healthy and I'm home. And I'm trying to do as much work as possible. With the, I'm trying to learn new things as well with the time that I have on my hands during this COVID-19 period. That seems to be what a lot of us are doing, trying to take advantage of this time to get better at things. Yeah. So you are in Ghana, correct? Yeah. Um, I'm, and in Accra? Yeah, I'm from Accra, Ghana, and uh, I've lived here all my life. And yeah, Ghana is a beautiful country. Accra is the capital, and... I'm right in the middle of Accra in uh, another major city called uh, Malam. It's it's a beautiful city as well. And so as a young person in Accra, you are also a fellow of Young African Leadership Initiative. Yeah, 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 I am, I am. I am. So in in entirety, I'm like, I'm an an aspiring entrepreneur, a creative artist, and an activist. And, and I, I, I like business. I like to help business uh, grow, help other people grow their businesses through, you know, um, brand management and creative directing and, you know, and business development with the use of strategies and other business development concepts. And I'm proud to be a fellow of the um, Young African Leaders Initiative. Uh, cohort 12 for the West African region, and which was held in uh, in Accra, Ghana, which uh, I also um, came out as the Yali star of the business and entrepreneurship track for uh, Cohort 12. Yeah. And you're also an engineer and a gamification strategy and experience design guy, right? Yeah. So 
So yeah, I I, I do dabble in a, in a lot of things, evidently. <laughs> and sometimes it, it, I kind of, you know, get caught up in uh, all of that because it's like different, different aspects of me. I try to exercise um, um, my, my passions and then my creative muscles in every, almost everything that I do. And I'm trained as an engineer by in the University of Ghana, and I had the opportunity to also study gamification um, in collaboration with the uh, Goethe Institute and then uh, some gamification consultants from Germany, and which then we proceeded to take on a project by ourselves. So we got to know the ins and outs of gamification, got to apply it, and to another extent also, we try to use that to help other people run their projects and their businesses as well. So yeah, I do a lot of things, engineer, um, gamification. I'm also, uh, also doubling um, the creative industry in terms of filmmaking and, mm -hmm. and creative direction. And, you know, yeah, I do, I do, I do, I try to do, I try to exercise um, most of my passions and, you know. That's, that's why we're talking. Yeah. So tell us what is gamification strategy? What is gamification for people that don't know anything about it? Okay, so you know sometimes, you know, you, you are doing, you have like uh, something that you want to do, but you lack the motivation to do it, or mm -hmm. you always have this routine that it kind of gets boring for you. So like everyday life, maybe um, you want to learn a language, and you find it boring to learn that language. You know, just to memorize the new words, learn some new words, who to uh, practice the language they're learning with, and that is where gamification comes in. Because for everyday life situations, you ha you can apply gamification to make it um, less boring and to make it uh, interesting for you, and also to uh, make you inherently motivated. So, in essence, gamification is like applying um, game principles uh, in non-game scenarios. So, if you're learning a language, you can um, set like a target for yourself that um, you want to do it for five days, and then you have like a, a process of you know checking those five days so it's like um, you're, you're having like a mission it's like you're basically um, defining it you want to make it into some sort of a game so you have like a, it's like you're a beginner and then after day one you give yourself like a new rank of which level that you've reached and then day three and just like that and you keep on improving so that is what gamification essence is about it's about applying um, game um, elements and game principles into non-game scenarios and you can apply it into various aspects of your life and most of these um, apps that we are using these days apply gamification but we do not know that it has been gamified so right yeah it's something that we all most 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 people don't even know they are doing it but then they do it um, most teachers who all of this um, position in school and when you write an exam and you're graded and sometimes you are um, ranked and those who are first, the first, second, and third, maybe get some prizes and all of that. It's, mm -hmm. it's on some level of gamification. It's like um, if you are running an Olympics and then um, you are keeping a record, it's some, some level of gamification you're trying to apply that. And a popular example is uh, this app, um, Duolingo. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the way you learn the language. That is, that is one of the most popular um, or most subtle way of gamification that most people are unaware of, but they they are inherently motivated because when you try to learn the language for each day that you sign up it's like you are running a streak and then there are different levels that you are uh, advancing you become a beginner you become you advance and then you become like an expert and then you also get to um, 
Dele language alongside with your friends. This is like a competition who has the yes. number of, um, you know, crowns and, you know, goes higher and higher. And then there are different, different leagues. So all of that is gamification. This is just for learning language. So it makes you wonder that, makes you think that, why is it that if I'm learning a language, it has to, I have to do some, it's like a game, you know, so it's like making real life situations like a game. That is the And then you part. can take that and usually you get social proof. You can take your badge and put it on Facebook. Or yes, like that. exactly. Yeah. For yeah. recognition, for people to know that is what you're into. And it gives you some sort of achievement inherently. And other people are also motivated to do more. That is the whole concept of gamification. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in it. And uh, I've tried to also apply that concept to other businesses to help them, you know, um, increase their customer satisfaction, their customer engagement. And also, I've also applied it in, in other um, um, companies to also increase um, employee, you know, appraisal and, you know, their their readiness to do a certain particular work. So it's it's a really an, it's really an interesting concept. I was mind blown to have chance upon it and um, I'm still learning more and also trying to see how best I can um, develop an ecosystem of that within Ghana as well. Uh, yeah. So we we can gamify as individuals, and and you're gamifying for businesses, customer acquisition and retention. But you're also doing some really interesting stuff to gamify culture change and behavior change in groups and not just individuals. And I want to talk about that in a minute. But before that. Um, you have experienced the, the Goethe Institute's Enter Africa, right? And that, I want to read a little bit from that because sure. it's so exciting to me. Yeah, it's, it so, says, it's also very exciting can, to me as well. Can games make a better future? We are convinced they can. And that is what the project Enter Africa is all about. It encourages young people in sub-Saharan Africa to use game thinking as a tool to address everyday challenges. Mm. We have interdisciplinary teams with architects, urban planners, IT experts, artists in 15 African cities came together to develop 15 location-based games for smartphones and one analog mega game addressing challenges of urban transformation borderlessness, and Africa's past, present, and future. Together, we use games and game thinking to realize our vision for Africa's future. That is just a wow. And I want you to tell me more about all of this and the game that you developed, the Chronicles of Klinu. Or is it Klinu? Yeah, Chronicles of Klinu. Chronicles of Klinu. Yeah, so tell me all about that. I just read a bunch of stuff. Boring to hear me read. I want to hear you tell me about what you did at Enter Africa and and what your next steps are with that. Okay. So, yeah, it's very interesting to hear you say that back to me because uh, when I was working on it, it kind of felt small, but hearing that in expansion, it's, it's really an amazing thing to, you know, see, to see how, 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 how big and, you know, overwhelming it is. So with Enter Africa, Enter Africa um, was a project in, in collaboration and was started by the Gote Institute. Um, in 15 African countries. And like I said, um, it was to um, encourage sub-Saharan sub African, you know, youth 
um, from di different uh, disciplines, from artists, you know, architects, engineers, um, city planners, and all of that, to you know, use um, games as a tool to transform the. We're looking at three um, areas, the cultural, social, and infrastructure frameworks of their cities, and also to reimagine what their city would look like. So it was, and it was kind of like, uh, in the beginning, it was a little bit difficult to bridge all of that, but we broke it down. And then I'll explain in a minute, um, in the perspective in the perspective of our, of our crowd, as to how we did that. So it was with 15 African countries, and we all created location-based games to address problems in our city. And in the perspective of Accra, um, we had so we wanted to reimagine what our city future would look like. And in doing so, we had to look at the past, the present, and the future. And we looked in the future, and then we thought, what would we, what, what, what does, what do we want the future of our city to look like? What would we want Accra to look like? And then we were like, we want Accra to be clean. We want Accra to have like skyscrapers. We want Accra to be like a, a Wakanda. And in doing so, we, we looked at the present as to what um, the, current, the current situation we are in and the steps we must take to get to that future. And I realized that, okay, Accra is a very vibrant city, very colorful. It's like a melting pot of cultures and, you know, it has the potential. And in doing so, and in looking at that, we realized that there was one problem, which is the behavior of people, which is, um, has to do with sanitation and, and you know, filth. And then we looked at the past as to what Accra was like before, because previously we were very big on, we were um, very big on, you know, we had like um, environmental sustainable and principles that we were already using with um, selling our food in, you know, um, um, leaves, and which was very biodegradable. We rarely use plastic and we were very big on recycling as well. So we realized that, okay, if you want the future of Accra, to look like a Wakanda, then we have to change the behavior of people and change the behavior of people in terms of how they dispose of waste, in terms of their attitude towards sanitation. And it was a challenge as well, because how do we do that? So we decided to create a game to gamify that. And that, yeah. And that brought us to, uh, the other aspect of enter africa which is um, um looking at the social the cultural and infrastructural frameworks of the city so we broke it down and look at the infrastructure frameworks in relation to um sanitation what the government was doing what um, individuals are doing what ngos are doing and we also looked at our culture our culture towards sanitation our culture towards uh you know um, being environmentally sustainable and all of that, and then we also look at our, our our way of doing things, how we, our social way of doing things. And then we, um, personally, um, before I made the game for Chronicles of Clean, I was, I was interning with the, with the um, soft drink production company, Pepsi, which is um, SBC Beverages in Accra, Ghana. And I, I used to walk on a strip of road, which is right next to Abuguloshi, which is um, the largest, um, scrapyard or e-waste dump in West Africa. So I used to walk that road for every day in and out, um, like 7 a.m. in the morning and 5 p.m. in the evening for three months when I was interning over there. And I I really got to see the scrapyard and how people lived over there. And for me, looking at the scrapyard and seeing how the people were burning the waste, 
seeing how people used to um, cover their nose with their t-shirts looking like uh, nomads it looked it looked it looked like a game scene for me you know for me if i was if i was walking there in the morning it was like i was on an adventure i was like venturing into like uh, the wilderness it looked it looked like a game to me it looked like uh i had to you know uh, like go on an adventure before getting to work so that was the major inspiration inspiration behind the uh, chronicles of cleaners so together with my team we were a team of 11 in accra and we decided to make the chronicles of cleaning and it was simple it was talking about sanitation it was harnessing all of these um concepts which the past the present to the future and then you know the social um, cultural and infrastructure framework of our city and we compressed it into a game which was heavily dependent on culture our culture as um, ghana so we told a story of a commander who lived in a utopia, a utopia where everything uh, was nice and proper, where everything was clean, which was the, the Wakanda that we had envisioned. So he lived in a he lived in a utopia, and then they made a mistake of disposing of waste incorrectly, and then out of that um, waste, which was specifically electronic waste, it the, it erupted a monster. And the monster killed Klinu's wife. And ironically, Klinu is also in charge of the, the intergalactic space zoomers, which is the sanitation department of that utopia. <laughs> and yeah, so he killed his wife, and this uh, monster escaped to Earth, specifically Abubuloshi. So Klinu, in a quest for revenge, had to come to Earth to look for the monster and kill the monster. And the game was a location-based game. That means it was bound with GPS. So you had to actually go to the place to play the game with missions, finding clues in real life, taking pictures, taking videos, interacting with the folks, interacting with the scrappers over there to actually finish the game. And in doing, in playing the game, you get to learn about um, recycling. You get to learn about how uh, the e-waste is caused you get to learn about upcycling you get to learn about you know the elements or the problems that the people were facing because there was a research that was conducted with the people who used to burn the scrap here and they had inhaled so much toxic smoke that when they took some of their urine samples there, there were high amounts of lead and you know some chemicals in it beyond like comprehension the levels were so high that to a standard they were even wondering what how they were alive because there was even a report that says that it was one of the toxic places on earth agribulation scrapyard and oh. it was sad to see so we wanted to let people know about that to create awareness and then to reverse engineer their minds and then cognitively motivate them to you know develop a new habit because building a habit of recycling doesn't it doesn't happen instantly it's a gradual process mm -hmm. so we wanted them to go there to play the game and to be motivated personally to make a change and all of these are elements within the game you have to play some missions where you have to make decisions on your own and i can explain how it is but it kind of takes out the fun from the game when you play but unfortunately it's a location-based game so you actually have to be in ghana to play the game and then there are also um, subliminal messages of and allusions to culture you know punctuated all over the game for instance with the 
with the name of the monster, which is Lyra, it is it was coined from cholera because um, the people in Ambibolution, anytime we have the rainy season, there's an outbreak, an outbreak of cholera over there. So we use all of that. And then most of the symbols in the game are allusions to our culture, are allusions to Mother Earth, are allusions, are allusions to um, some um, like a supreme being, a supreme being guiding you. And one of the major things that we got to find out was that most of the e-waste that came over there were f about 80% is important from the Western world. So it was like an illusion. There was an allusion to the fact that they, there's an utopia and they are mistakenly, you know, dumping their waste down here. And most people got to find out about that because most people didn't know. They always wondered how the e-waste came about because, yeah, they were always wondering, like, yeah, about 225,000 tons are pumped down here every single year. And it's burnt and all of this goes into the atmosphere, causing... Um, climate change and all of these toxic gases in the air and acid rain. So that was the motivation behind why we created a game. And it did well. We got a lot of awareness and we tried to expand it even, we tried to expand the, that is what currently we are trying to do. We are trying to um, expand it into some sort of like a, a comic. And also for people who cannot play the game, uh, we are currently working on a VR documentary um of the abu Blushi, the scrapyard so even if you cannot be here you can from the comfort of your home or anywhere um, put on your vr goggles then you get to see through the eyes of captain Klinu. you get to see through the eyes of Klinu as he's walking through the scrapyard of abu Blushi on his quest for revenge so this this is amazing prince and just there's so much more to unpack here yeah, it's a lot. The idea that local game developers can create a game that is just rich in local culture so that it accurately speaks to the local community, educates them in a way that is completely relatable, yeah, and has a really strong... Uh, capability to influence political change, right? And political demand. And and, and you're showing people the, the history of this waste, where it came from, what it can actually do to them. And that's large-scale societal change. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, one thing we realized also was about the it's been rich in culture and it's been like a catalyst for political change was um, we had the opportunity to showcase the game in a, at a game festival in Amaze Berlin and also Gamescom. Uh, and when, when we're telling people about the game, they were, they got to know more about, like, you know, interesting facts about the scrapyard and also got to see um, an African representation to the game mm -hmm. so we had a lot of people who were interested you know in the game and then it was a location-based game but it was also kind of very difficult to unpack all of that onto someone who was just you know coming to your booth to pass by and then just see the game because it was a location-based game as well so they couldn't really be there to play yeah it was a lot to unpack but then they got the you know the 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 idea of it and people actually were encouraging us to 
um, move it into like uh, other forms, like uh, a video game or something like that. So that vision is mm -hmm. still there. And we, in as much as we want to do that as well, we also want to see real change and real change in the, in the, in Abu Bloshi. We don't want to be like, you know, to use just that story to make a game and then the change is, is not there. The people are still mm -hmm. burning scrap. The people are still, you know, um, having, are falling ill to all of these toxic smokes that they are inhaling. We want to also see real change over there as well. So that is something that we are day in, day out working uh, uh, around. Yeah. But, it, well, you know, it, there is, and maybe you already know this, a very strong presence that goes back several decades in several South American nations. And what, what they did is, and there's a whole program, but I don't remember the name of it. They were looking at specifically population and trying to slow population growth within several of these countries. And what they did is they created television programming, mm. telenovelas, you know, uh, soap opera type programs. And they would model the behavior they wanted to see people take. So the hit shows would have a mom, a dad, and one or two kids, mm. right? And there's more to it than that, but what they found is that very quickly, the citizenry would start modeling what they saw on TV. Yeah, yeah. And it had a very strong, Impact. impact and a very direct change in population growth numbers. Now, what you're doing is taking that and making it immersive. Yeah. So yeah. you have proof that this works. Yeah. And what you're doing done right. And again, you're doing the same thing with this rooting it in the local culture, having the stories be local stories told by local people. It's absolutely, to my mind, it's if you have a, you know, a, uh, if you're doing super nice work, it's a great way to do it. Of course, you know, with great power comes great responsibility, right? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. can do some really messed up stuff too. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was, that was, that, that is really amazing to hear that. And, you know, it, it kind of gives, um, hope because um, most of one of the discussions that we have is that hey guys we know that the impact is not going to happen overnight but it's long term you know but one thing that we realized was that um, the impact was happening because um, we when we were designing the game we were doing a level designing because we had to use the gps very accurately to pinpoint the exact location we wanted something to be so if the mission says that you take a picture of a signboard, you wanted a GPS location to be very, very accurate to at least three meters. So you have to be there to take a picture of the signboard. So when we were doing the level design, we, we took a lot of trips to Abu Bloshi. And at one point in time, there was a patch of plastic bottles, so many by the roadside. But then the next day we came, the next time that we went, it wasn't there again. Mm -hmm. And then this was happening, you know, um, over the months that we were developing the game. 
and my one of our team members made a funny joke that hey guys if we if this place um, is like super super clean before we launch the game i mean our work would have been done but then the game would not be as immersive as we as as we want it to be <laughs> because we are describing the place as like uh uh, you know, an arid scotch land. And then when someone is coming to play the game in a place like uh, Utopia, the person will be confused as to, is he at the right place? So yeah, that was something that um, our friend shared for Comic Relief. But then we got to see that the impact was happening over there. And we are still, you know, working hard to um, make that direct impact because we also had that, um, you know, dilemma. We we were... We, uh, we were accepted as the finalists for um, an award, which is a um, gamification and sustainability award because of our work within um, the environmental sustainability and climate change. And one of the questions that they asked was, the, what was the impact of our game? And it was very difficult to translate that, but we knew that when we are started um, and designing the game, we had one guy who was helping us and he took us around you know i got to meet him during my internship days and he took us around you know showing us the, the scrapyard itself and this guy actually was a, was used to be a you know a, a scrapper i would say he used to burn scrap and all of that but then gradually because because he got to know about the the challenges and then the, the problems with burning scrap, what it does to the environment. He slowly and over time changed his profession. It wasn't easy because they earn money from the burning of the scrap, but he changed his profession to become a, a motorcycle rider. And it was impressive. It was, I felt like, yo, that is an impact right there, you know, because to us, we knew that with our game, we had money to make one guy. Um, stop burning scrap and then change his lifestyle change his ways you know and that was very impressive and to it it's it it's what i felt so good um in 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 in, uh, in in hearing that because it's very difficult for these people when you tell them to b stop burning the scrap then they ask you that hey we make our money from you so what what are you going to do for us now they stop for like two days and then they are back again the next few days so that was very impressive to for me to hear that this guy had changed his profession and subsequently, we we put him in the game as an NPC, as an as a non uh, non playing character in the game. So if you go there to play the game, you might get to meet him, and he you rewarded him. Yeah, he knows about the game, so he kind of is like a is like a real life guide who will guide you when you are playing the game. Well, you should feel good about that because yeah. this one man is now a storyteller for you. Yeah, yeah, it is, and it it, it kind of. It, it kind of made us know that yo, there is, like, we are doing something good. We are, we are, we are making impact. Yeah, of course you are. So, um, I get excited pretty easily. So, is it is it naive to think that this type of location based gaming could be deployed to help uh, lower tensions between nations? You know, having children on both sides of maybe a disputed border, immersing themselves into an interactive game that finds them working together. At 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 face value, um, 
I think it can. Anything is possible. But with the location-based game, you have to be very careful with how how immersive you can get. So, for instance, for us, we do know how Abuboloshi is very, you know, um, it's a little bit rough because of, I mean, it's just like any other normal city. You, There are people who are there doing business, so cars are passing, and, you know, yeah, people are going about their daily lives. And for you to go there with your phone high up in the air to take pictures, all of that, we kind of make it very clear that if you're playing a game, you have to be conscious about your safety. You have mm-hmm. to be aware of your surroundings because we tell the people that, hey, this is a game, but this is not a game. This is real life. So right. you have to be careful. And in terms of low intentions, yes, location-based games, it makes you meet people. It makes you interact with other people as well. So, and many things can um, develop from location-based games. One of our team members um, was playing this game, um, Ingress, which is also another popular um, location-based game where you are like within two factions and then you are fighting against each other. And he was playing a game in Accra and he went to present the game again in Sweden and he was playing the Ingress over there and he met someone over there. And mm. it was, yeah, and then, you know, he was like, hey, I was just playing this game. And then, you know, it kind of built a, a connection and a relationship within that. So anything is possible. If if there have been stories that have been told of um, political wars being set up and then children use the wars as seesaw to, you know, um, to just have fun. So this was like a wall to separate two towns or two cities, but then the children placed a seesaw on it and then children from the other city were sitting on it and children from the other city and then were just enjoying themselves. And when the grown-ups and when the adults so they're like, wow, these children are just, you know, irrespective of the political differences, are just having fun. And that was also one of the uh, uh, major reasons why their countries came together. So location-based games, yes, is a very tricky. It's very tricky because um, safety safety becomes a concern. Um, t- po- um, case in point, um, Pokemon Go. It was very popular. We had a lot of people who kind of had like a couple of there were a couple of accidents on the road from people who were playing Pokemon Go. So it's it, anything is possible and i do believe yeah if there is some you know tension between nations um, immersive games can definitely help and i believe it will help if like there's a location-based game for you to like um, especially one that comes with um, interacting with other people on the app maybe measuring your your high scores and all of that it, it will go a long way to um you know bridge people together but you have to be careful because, for instance, if there is a game, if there, like real life, you're not you're not supposed to cross territories, and you make a game that crosses that territory, you might get shot, and you know, anything can happen. So you the, game over, the game over, and then maybe life over too as well. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> you have to be very careful in terms of the um, safety. Safety is very important in designing those games. You have to be conscious about it in the experience. Especially when you're carrying. Yeah, a thousand dollar phone around. Exactly, exactly. Anything can happen. Yeah. Safety is very important, and we made it clear um, with uh, the players that hey, um, you might be carrying a expensive phone, and you are going to play a game. So beware of your surroundings. You know, it's a it's a game, but it's not a game. It's real life, and real life, you know, has consequences. So we made it clear and we almost we always put it um at the footnote of the missions that hey we were for surroundings and even some of the missions were geared towards 
um, the onboarding process was geared towards letting you know how your surroundings are like. And, uh, so in August of last year, you spoke at the largest media convention in the world, Gamescom Congress in Germany. What, what's that event like? And is, is Africa well represented there or are you sort of a novelty still? Okay, so um, I, I think I remember speaking of, talking a bit about uh, how people were happy to see the African representation um, of games. So we we had the opportunity to be at um, Gamescom and we were at the Indie Booth Arena, uh, which was like had indie games and all of that. And before going, we put out a call to applications as Enter Africa because we are trying to, as a group, although we created location-based games, we are now trying to position ourselves as the gateway to African creators to, you know, showcase what Africa has to offer to basically our mission and our vision was to create a sustainable ecosystem in, in gaming within Africa. So we put out a call to applications for game studios to bring their games and, you know, so we can showcase it over there. And we had some honorable uh, submissions from um, Letty Arts, one of uh, uh, a good game um, studio in, um, in, in Ghana, a very good friend of mine and also from Tanzania, from Cameroon as well. We had some games uh, being brought in and we had a whole booth to ourselves and we had our, you know, our banner and then our, our blue and white colors, as you can see me clearly. Mm. See. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we had our blue and white colors all over there. And we also were wearing our traditional African print and, you know, our specially made Enter Africa printed shirts. And we were there the f um, with the first time at our booth. It was people were looking at us because for everywhere you were going, you could see definitely you could see there were a lot of electronic games like um, VR games. You know, everyone was having like a some sort of like electronic game. And we had a computer over there to um, for you to, for people to try out um, the games that we were showcasing. But then we also had a board game, which was very unique. Because we, out of all of these 15 location-based games that we created across all of the countries, we, we took themes from it and created a mega game called Busara. And Busara stood for Swahili, which, called, which is wisdom. And we had like a mega game that talks about um, African creativity, African culture, and promoting borderlessness and a need for unity. And we had it over there at Gamescom and a table set up with like a few chairs for people to sit down and play. And initially we were skeptical because Everyone was coming to play electronic games. So, I mean, what is a board game doing at Gamescom? And surprisingly, we had people sitting down for close to two hours playing a board game. Hmm. Yeah, the analog experience was probably pretty grounding. Exactly. For those and people, guys. Yeah. So we messed in it. We were surprised because, and we, people, people, at a point, we had like people waiting to play the board game, and then the board game heavily represents African culture because you have to you have to pick up a card which represents an African kingdom, and you have to play as the kingdom. And people really enjoyed it; they enjoyed it. And all the comments that we were getting was like, "Wow, they are so happy to see Africa being represented over there." And they also got to play the games that we brought, the uh, electronic games as well, and. It was very interesting and we, we had a lot of partnerships being built from there. And one guy who I think has been frequenting Gamescom for quite a while now, um, he was like, wow, 
in all of his years coming to Gamescom, he has, I mean, he has seen some games that have been made in Africa or, you know, have like an African team, but he has never seen a, a, a booth dedicated to African games. And it was very, very impressive. It was very good to hear that. So we had a lot of positive feedback coming uh, in terms of the representation of Africa. And that is, that is something that I feel like more should be done of. And that is how we are also as a group positioning ourselves to be the gateway to African creators. And then again, I got to speak um, at the Gamescom Congress about living with games. And I got to explain um, what Ent Africa was and and what our mission and vision were. And also speak on a topic about living with games with a perspective on Chronicles of Cleaning and also how we always play games for, with uh, board games, you know, as bridging um, families together, you know, as a cultural thing. So, yeah, it was really, really um, eye-opening. And I got, I went there to um, share my perspective, but also ended up having to change my perspective as well and learning new things, yeah. So the first time I ever encountered a location-based game, Mm-hmm. had to be can you share experience i was gonna say it might have been 15 years ago but it was organized by jane mcgonigal who's sort of a legend in this space right so i can't have a conversation about this without giving a shout out to jane mcgonigal who i think might still be at the institute for the future yeah so and we went to a cemetery wow and we had to play some sort of gravestone math game. Wow. You had to find certain years and numbers and things like that and then bring it back and input it into your phone. It ended up being a promotional campaign for some Wild West video game, if I recall correctly. Wow. But it was a real mind blower to me because I had never experienced that integration of real life, real world gaming with some sort of rudimentary online um, framework. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. That is that that is that is very very impressive. I mean, a cemetery. Wow, I would love to play that. I would have loved to play that. It's it's a look up this town called Colma, C O L M A, Colma, California. Okay. It's nothing but cemetery. Wow. Yeah, it's it's crazy. And then, and then, uh, the interesting thing about Jane is that um, when I started on this gamification journey um, um, and trying to learn and, you know, immerse myself into it, I chanced upon her on YouTube and I was watching all of her videos, getting to know uh, about her insights in the gaming industry. And one of our team members, Julius Akufu, uh, he gifted me one book, which was Reality is Broken. And that book, that book has been has helped me immensely in in my journey since uh, um, gamification on, on, on in my gamification journey. So she's someone that I really look up to, and yeah, I'm 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 really learning a lot from her. Yeah. So the book that you just mentioned is "Reality Is Broken." Yeah, yeah. Why games make us better and how they can change the world. Yeah. It's yeah. by Jane McGonigal. So if you're listening to this and you're interested in this larger conversation, it's a great place to start. Okay, so how we met is also pretty interesting. Yeah. And there's a lot of room 
for your expertise and genius. So I met you working on the Free the Vaccine Project. It's you and me and I think maybe hundreds yeah. of health professionals, activists, artists, all working together to make sure the COVID-19 vaccine does all the good it can do. Yeah. So from our materials, we say we won't win through old methods. Holding up signs at a traditional crowded protest march is not an option. No. So together we'll find new, better ways that work in our current context. We'll achieve this by creating an advocacy innovation lab with teams around the world, crowdsourcing new methods to achieve our objectives. These SALK teams, obviously named after Jonas Salk, yeah. will design and test creative methods to pressure governments and pharmaceutical corporations to ensure publicly funded diagnostic tools and the COVID-19 vaccine will be sustainably priced all and free at the point of delivery. So we're working on this together with so many people. And when you introduce yourself in our our group board with that online, you know, our whatever, yeah. Your gamification background was really interesting to me. So Will you be deploying any magnification to the free the vaccine campaign, or how do you see yourself getting involved most um, constructively? Okay, so uh, yeah, um, once again, uh, I'm actually very, very um, happy and you know um, excited to be a part of you know um, this group and this wonderful group. I'm I'm getting to learn new things and. I'm getting to meet wonderful people like yourself and yeah it's 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 really 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 nice and i got into this uh because because of the gamification thing basically because um some people saw this um so i was creating a game but some people saw it as like a, a digital activism so um i got i got within the group uh, of uh you know um with steve and uh, c4aa and we were working on uh Steve Lambert. Yeah, Steve Lambert and then Rebecca Bray. And we were working on uh, uh we went to like a training program for acti uh, activist creative activism and we were trying to work on a project within corruption. And we are we are started actually my project was to um create awareness about corruption, but then I didn't want to go with the normal way of you know protest marching and you know telling a story. I want to people I'm so I'm very big about immersive immersiveness and experience design. So I actually designed like a, an art exhibition where people will sign up to come to an art exhibition. But then in the course of signing up, we would have like mm -hmm. a, a, like a terms and conditions where they are supposed to read. And then, you know, we are going to design it such a way that they will not read it because everyone, most people don't read it. The only, all the only, all they click is I agree. And once you click that, you accept you accept some terms that make make us you know, um, that give us certain privileges and start us like going to social media, and taking your pictures and using your pictures. So the plan was to, which I think will happen post Corona, if everything dies down, God willing, and was to have an art exhibition. And for those who falter in their registration, 
will have their pictures showed up as being corrupt. Mm. So you are coming to an art exhibition for corruption, but you walk in and then you see your face over there, and we are going to list your crimes that you've done, you know. <laughs> and then in, in one way or the other, you're supposed to pay money to have your picture taken down, which is like buying act work. So we are going to talk about corruption within the art industry and also corruption as individuals and corruption as like um, corporations because we realize that, hey, it's the same individuals that go into these corporations and then become corrupt. So we wanted to bridge all of that with an art exhibition and Corona kind of halted that. And then I jumped straight into the Free the Varsity program, which I'm currently working on and with um, very amazing people. And we are hoping that uh, we are going to uh, find a vaccine very soon. And if that should be found, which I know will, um, it should be, you know, free at the point of delivery and then, you know, re just, uh, reasonably priced. So that is how come I got into uh, uh, this freedom vaccine. It's owing to my activism journey from um, the creating the game and then um, C4AA and now um, the South teams. Uh, well, we're gonna get it done. Yeah, in the South this teams, is, we have such an amazing team. team. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm in the Lion Group from Africa, so go I'm lion. in the Otter Group. Ah, uh, yeah, I think I met you. Lions can eat otters all day long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So we'll do a different podcast with Steve and Rebecca oh, to nice. dive into all the things we're doing there. I just wanted to mention that that you're part of that. And I'm just, I'm glad that you are. I'm looking forward to seeing what you do and working on it with you. So this is part of the Super Nice Club, this podcast. And so the members of the Super Nice Club are our sponsors. So shout out to the members of the Super Nice Club for sponsoring this podcast. Thank you so much for, for your support and belief in this crazy idea that we really can make the world 10% nicer with the help of people like Prince doing these incredible, absolutely next level immersive educational gaming experiences. So thank you, Prince. Most welcome. Is there anything the members of the Super Nice Club can do for you? Um, can you? Can you repeat that again? I didn't quite catch that. Sure. Is there anything the members of the Super Nice Club can do for you? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, so we currently, um, as a group, um, Mental Africa, we are uh, positioning ourselves at the gateway to African creators. And we are very open to collaborations, um, strategic collaborations that um, benefit you know, both parties. And personally, I am also working to expand uh, Chronicles of Cleaning and into other formats like a VR documentary, and also um, a video game. So I will be very, very excited if, uh, you know, we can see if there's a collaboration that we can make with the Super Nice Club, um, with helping each other and sharing our work, you know, letting the world know of the amazing things that we are doing and supporting each other. So. I'll be very grateful if um, that can happen. And where can people reach out to you, find you online? Okay, my name is um, Prince Andradefio. I'm on um, Twitter as Prince Adefio, LinkedIn, Prince Andradefio, Facebook, Prince Andradefio. 
and Prince Adif, you, you can find me anywhere and everywhere. LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. And yeah, my email is also princeadefio at yahoo.com. Okay, everybody. So our Davio is A-R-D-A-Y-F-I-O. It'll be in the show notes as well. So Prince Ardafio everywhere. Everywhere. Prince okay, 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 great. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter. Do you have a super nice challenge for the members? Super nice challenge. Do you have something that you want to challenge our members that they can do to help make the world a little bit nicer? Mm. Well, I would challenge them to, in this moment, to um, obey the directives of their government and whatever the government says is to try and obey and also to social distance. And mm -hmm. if I would, I would like to see them, you know, um, gamify their current time period, maybe uh, day one, they take a picture with a mask on, day two, they try and showcase their quarantine cooking, day three, they try and showcase their quarantine workout. I think those three will work for the super nice club. So day one, a picture in a mask, day two, your quarantine cooking, and then day three, your quarantine workout. I think, yeah. That'll, that'll oh, that challenge is a great one. Gauntlet thrown. So anybody who wants to pick it up, share that with us, the Super Nice Club, but also share it with Prince. Yeah, I think I'll, Prince I'll, be, I'll be joining in. I'll be joining in. Yeah, okay, that's awesome. So day one, picture in a mask. Day two, your quarantine cooking. And day three, your quarantine workout. Yeah. I love it. Prince, do you have a question for me? That's how we usually wrap things. You get to be the host for a minute. Okay. Um, my question would be: um, If you could, uh, if you could have a superpower, which superpower would it be? <laughs> that old one. Yeah. I answer it different every day. You know, did, did, like many people. Uh huh. I, I love the I, idea of flying. Oh. Why? I think that people would shoot at you. <laughs> you know, you'd have to also be invisible. <laughs> but I don't want to be invisible because I think that anybody with the ability to be invisible would abuse it. Mm, you yeah, just def would. Definitely, definitely. You know, so if if I could fly but be invisible while I'm flying, mm. yeah, you know, maybe. Uh, so I think flying is a good one for me. That's good. Yeah. yeah. Usually we ask this question because uh, in like game development, people try to create what they would like to be in their characters. So <laughs> when pe when you are designing someone, you have people trying to create like their their immortal self, like an extension of their self. Like they want to put their immortality right. in that person. So usually ask that question. And uh, uh, it's, it's very interesting for your answer. But for me, usually I always go that I would like to read people's minds because, yeah. If you can read people's minds, you're busy. Oh, really? I, yeah. I I think it would destroy every relationship. It wouldn't. It wouldn't. It's another you, thing. You know, one, so you, know one, you know, one can read mine, and I can read everyone. I believe I can help the world, like you know, immensely. I know what this person wants. I know what everyone is thinking, and you can you know help people. So yeah, that is my. You own. are helping the world immensely. Yeah. With with what you're doing, and I'm going to put you in touch. Yeah. With a man named William Ryerson. Nice. He's a fellow, He's a fellow at the West Carbon, Carbon Institute. Institute. Okay. And he was instrumental in creating these 
television programs that I was telling you about earlier. Well, nice, nice. That change human behavior. I think you'd be fascinated by what you're doing. Yeah. And for you to learn the history of some of these earlier, more rudimentary efforts would probably inspire you a lot. Please, uh, please where, where, where can I find those videos? Because I'm very particular about enforcing change to like um, subliminal ways because sometimes um, when you watch something, uh, when, they, when they come at you directly with it, it, it doesn't really hit you. But once you kind of sit down to process it, and that is when you kind of get impacted by it. So I'm, I'm very, very interested in watching those shows as to how they reprogram, or even learning, reading about, reading more about it, about their whole um, process and then, you know, their creative process and how they achieve that. Prince, it was really great talking to you today. I really appreciate your time. I'm really excited by what you're doing and look forward to seeing it roll out. I look forward to playing one of your games someday. Yeah, I mean, for now, you you, after Corona, you'd have to come to Ghana, but if it comes, if it definitely comes like in a video game format, I'll definitely send you a copy. I, any excuse to travel, <laughs> somebody will bankroll it for me. Yeah. I'm on my way, man. <laughs> yeah. All right. Thanks much. Yeah. Stay safe, stay healthy. And I will see you in the free the vaccine group talk chat thing. Yeah. Definitely. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And um, big thanks to the Super Nice uh, Club. And please do not forget the challenge. And I'll be looking forward to seeing that as well. So there we have it, a super nice conversation with Prince Andrew Ardafio. Today's super nice takeaway has to do with the power of gamification to nudge cultural behavior and norms in any direction wanted by the game designers. Like any tool, this can be a good thing or a bad thing. So whether we need global oversight, I don't really know. But I'd like to think we can trust game designers to do the right thing. And then, given that there are very few cultural universals and things like moral standards are abstract artificial concepts that change a lot from society to society, while games have no such limits, I can see things getting sticky. Do I trust Prince Andrew? Absolutely. Do I trust, say, Silicon Valley designers backed by profit-driven venture capitalists? Not so much. I mean, not unless they're part of the Super Nice Club, right? Don't forget to subscribe to Nice Work wherever you get your podcast, and most definitely leave a review. We'd love to hear from you, so message us on Facebook, Instagram, plain old email. That's Todd, T-O-D-1-D at superniceclub.com. Or call me directly via the Nice Line at 707-500-1580. And please, to be a member of the Super Nice Club, just follow us on Instagram or Facebook. 
If you want to represent with some sweet, super nice street fashion, head over to supernicecub.com and use discount code SUPERNICEPRINCE for 15% off. All right. Stay nice, everyone. So what? Big deal.